Welcome to the SOAR podcast. Thank you for your support. If you want to continue to support this podcast, there are a few things you can do for me. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would give me a five-star rating. And if you really feel motivated, go ahead and write a review. So welcome to SOAR, the Sisters Overcoming and Rising podcast. I'm Dr. Stephanie, your host, and I'm here to help women overcome limiting beliefs so that they can live their best lives. Sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. It's time for transformation, time for healing. You've got the potential, you've got the power now. Sisters, overcoming and rising. Thoughts on breaking through the glass ceiling. I would like to introduce my guest who's going to help us dive into this topic. My special guest for the evening is Yvonne Jackson. She was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. She's the president and principal consultant of Beecher Jackson Incorporated, a management and human capital consulting firm where she specializes in governance work for public companies, colleges, and universities. Jackson is on the board of Spartanish Company, where she serves as chair of the Compensation Committee and is a member of the Nominating and Governance Committees. She is the immediate past chair of the Spelman College Board of Trustees and immediate past chair of the Board of Association of Governing Board of Universities and Colleges. In her business career, she is considered a pioneer in corporate America, having served as CPO, CHRO, and Senior Vice President of Human Resources at Pfizer, Compaq, and Burger King, three Fortune 300 companies. She and her husband, Fred, have lived together in New York, Miami, Houston, and now reside in Martha's Vineyard and winter in Rancho Mirage, California. Welcome to SOAR, Yvonne. I am so glad that I finally convinced you to do this interview, even though I I had some help from Uncle Stevie, um, but I'm glad that together we were able to twist your arm. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here today and to give you what little advice I have at this stage of life, but I'm going to give it to you. I appreciate that. And I think that you have a lot of advice and I'm excited for myself and my listeners to just sort of sit at your feet for a minute and and learn. And especially for this topic, the topic of your thoughts on breaking through the glass ceiling, you've had a really impactful career. And so you have experienced this firsthand and can definitely give us advice on this because there still are glass ceilings that exist. But I'm really curious, when you were a little girl and you were dreaming of what you wanted to do, did you aspire to be a senior vice president or a CPO? Or what was it that you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, Stephanie, I have to say that's a question I've asked myself many, many, many times. And I don't have an answer for it in this sense. (laughs) I don't recall thinking about much of my future except this. My mother was a teacher, my grandmother was a teacher, and my aunts and some couple uncles were teachers, and I thought I was going to be a teacher. 
And that is all I remember. The other, only other thing I do remember as a kid was I went to an event with my aunt and she was standing, it was a room full of people and she was standing up front of, in front of the room and I said to myself, I'm going to be doing that one day. And I just remember having that vision that this is, I was 10 years old. Um, but that, that was all I thought about uh, because I, having gone into business, none of my family, I was one of the first in my family to go into business. And so, you know, that wasn't in front of me. It, I didn't have any role models around me to help me think about that, this career that I ended up, um, the journey that I ended up taking. I think that that is something that's very common to a lot of people. A lot of us may be the first in our career path in our family. So we don't have those role models in our family to even know what's possible. So that's why it's so important to expose ourselves and expose our children to as many different people and different careers as possible so they can have some of those role models. Absolutely. So knowing that, you know, you didn't have very clear aspirations as a young girl, please tell us how your career evolved into being a C-suite executive. Well, I, I have to say, you know, I'm 71 years old, so I, I'm going to tell my age. Of course, when they say a woman tells her age, tell, she'll tell anything, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, and when I entered um, the business world out of Spelman College, and we can talk about that in a few minutes as well, um, I took, I took, um, I was a history major and I took a lot of business classes, all of which I took at Morehouse. And, um, again, there weren't that many of us. Certainly there were very few Spelman women who were taking business classes. There were two women in, in the classes and I had to take them at Morehouse. And, um, so I didn't have that around me either saying, okay, there's some other women who went ahead of you. So I was definitely a pioneer, uh, when I graduated in 1970. And I just remember thinking through in college that I didn't want to, I didn't like the teaching classes. So business interests me. And I started taking an accounting class, which was interesting. And then I took some other classes and they were all interesting. And I said, well, this is something I'm going to pursue. And so I interviewed, uh, coming out of Spelman and, um, and I stayed focused on doing the job. And I'll come back to that in a minute because I, I think oftentimes I give advice to young women and, uh, in particular about just staying focused on and completing the job that you're assigned to do. So mm -hmm. I went into a management training program. And again, I was still excited about what I was doing and what I was learning. And every step of the way, I just kept, I stayed focused. Um, I looked ahead of myself in, in the terms, in terms of just thinking about other things I wanted to do, but I wasn't dreaming about big things. I was just dreaming about doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what kept me, um, growing and making strategic decisions along the way. I moved from one company to another. Um, for, for various reasons. And again, made that trade-off decision difficult, um, but made it. Then, um, made another trade-off decision some years later, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
um, that's how my career progressed. And I would say to you that, and I, I, I said I would come back to this, I kind of have four principles that I operate from. The first is that, um, you know, I believe that life favors the persistent. Mm. Um, and some of us have good luck and some of us have bad luck. And so how do you maximize your good luck? How do you how do you stay focused on the good luck and 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 de-emphasize bad luck? Because all of us don't always have good luck and we all of us don't always have bad luck. But I've always felt that the way you maximize good luck is to make sure that you're disciplined, mm -hmm. that you stay focused on the task at hand. Some people want to look five jobs ahead of them and three jobs ahead of them, two jobs ahead of them. I can tell you that I always stayed with the principle of doing the job that I was doing mm -hmm. well. And I oftentimes was surprised when I got a promotion because I was so focused on doing my job, the job I had then, well. Now, there were other things that went along with that. Did I have mentors? Did I have sponsors? Yes. And so how do you build that? Um, that kind of network around you. So that, anyway, that was one of the principles that I operated from. The second was that, you know, build a life that, I guess I'll put it this way, life favors those who lead with the spirit of service and humility. Mm. And um, one area of my career, I remember I was a young hotshot corporate person moving up through the ranks and I was doing really well inside of that corporation and I looked around me and I if I felt like something was missing and I remember thinking you know my parents raised me to give back to others I saw them do that I saw my grandmothers and my grandfather and my father and and people around me ensuring that they were supporting the community around them and I realized something was missing from my life. And I decided that I needed to refocus some of my efforts and all this determination and, and drive that I had to making sure that I was mm -hmm. also giving back to my community. So that was, you know, that was one um, thing that I realized that I, I, I missed. And um, I, you know, worked at that. I also thought and think that building, um, having someone to advise you, I built kind of what I would call a board mm -hmm. of advisors around myself. Um, and these were people that, um, whose opinion I valued, who I could call for advice um, and get coaching from. And these were friends or mentors or people. And if I had big decisions to make, I made sure that I, um, involved those folks in making that decision or at least got some advice from them about how I would make that decision. And, um, and so that was, you know, that was another principle that I operated uh, from mm -hmm. and I still operate from to this day. <laughs> if I make a big decision or I, you know, I remember when I took on the, the board role at Spelman College, I, called a few people who I knew had been board chairs of other colleges and I kind of installed them as my advisors. So when I needed some advice, I would call them and get, get 
perspective from them yeah. about uh, the journey they had taken. And then, and then finally, um, I always say, pick your friends well. Um, and that is ensure that you, um, you put people around you, you build the, this <laughs> board that I talk about, people who are positive. Um, but you want positive energy around you um, as you make these decisions, having friends who, um, who can help you be positive and, and not dwell on the negative because we all have terrible things that happen to us. Um, but just being positive and having friends around you who are also positive and keeping, as I say, that positive energy around you such that um, you can be successful. So those are kind of the principles that I've operated uh, with as I've traveled this, this journey um, called life. Out there. Those are some amazing principles. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like as you were talking about how your career evolved, that you found your passion in the business courses that each one you took, you enjoyed it more and more. And then and that you were very committed to doing and finishing what you did. And that just kept moving you forward from one step to another. And then you shared your four principles and I want to summarize them but I don't want to get them wrong so can you just list those four principles again yeah life favors those who lead with the spirit of service and humility make sure that the friends around you are are have positive energy pull together a board I call it your your personal board of advisors who can advise you as you're moving through and making decisions um, and finally, um, life favors yeah. the persistent. So staying focused on the job at hand and being disciplined about around that. Those are excellent, excellent advice. And the other thing, Stephanie, I would say, and Fred, my husband, says it's about me, um, he said, you know, you have two speeds, Yvonne. And I said, what's that? First met me, he said, you have a, you have a speed call fast and stop. And it's true. I have, I go, I go and I go deep on everything that I commit myself to. So I don't spread myself real thin. I say, okay, I'm going to be focused on this. I'm going to be focused on that. I'm going to be focused on that. But I don't spread myself among 10 things. Um, and I spread myself among four things that I can do well. And it's true. And then, as Fred would say, then you stop. That's true. I fall on the couch and lay down and I say, okay, I'm done for the day or I'm done for this. I'm done on that project. <laughs> yeah, the, those are great principles because I think there is a tendency for a lot of us to want to do everything. The FOMO, the fear of missing out. So you spread yourself really thin. And then there's also a tendency to kind of go until you hit a brick wall. So not knowing when to rest and when to stop. So 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 that is definitely a word right there, a word that I can take to heart uh, as well. But focusing and going hard on the things that you have decided to focus on and then stopping. So I like that. I might have to get me two speeds. <laughs> because you, you want to make a difference with what you do. And you can't make a difference when you're skimming mm -hmm. um, 
So, and that's, as I said, go deep. Um, and then, and then influence where you, what you're doing and the people around you. Now, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to come back to the fact that you are a Spelman alumna and that you served as the chair of the board of trustees. And there's something about Spelman women. And I, you know, I knew it growing up with Andrea and, and attending the, the Spelman events. But even now, when I meet women who have attended Spelman, they just have a certain or I don't know what it is, but it's an amazing thing. So I, I was just curious to know if you think that your career trajectory might have looked different had you gone to maybe a predominantly white institution, or do you think Spelman just set you up for success in a way that only they could have? I think it set me up. Now, I will say this. I'll, I'll admit to being just an average student at Spelman. I was no straight-A student <laughs> like Andrea. <laughs> so, uh, But I, I was an average student. But I think what Spelman did was give me self-confidence, <laughs> And um, when I entered Spelman, so I I am a twin, and Yvette and I um, went our separate ways for the first time in our life. Um, and, you know, so I was sort of without my mm-hmm. without my twin sister. <laughs> so, so that was a new and different experience. But I built some confidence at Spelman that has has, has served me well. And um, served me well as I entered the workplace because I could think I thought I could do this, um, and um, and it, it was a great experience uh, from 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 all accounts on every front in terms of just learning about myself and then taking that into uh, the work world. Yeah. I hear that a lot for people who went to historically black colleges as an undergrad, that there's this sense of confidence and this sense of knowing who you are and believing that you can do whatever it is that you want to do, uh, which is which is awesome. And I, I think that that's why I see a lot of people around me really trying to send their kids to HBCUs now more than I remember even when I was applying to college. It, it wasn't as right. as common. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a great supporter of HBCUs, and I, I think our kids, particularly if they've been attending majority institutions in high school and all that, they need to make sure they find themselves and learn about themselves, and um, and that's what our HBCUs um, provide for our kids. Absolutely. So Hillary Clinton famously says that she put 18 million cracks in the glass ceiling, but didn't actually break through it. And and our topic is thoughts on breaking through the glass ceiling. Do you think that you broke through a glass ceiling in your career? And, and what does that mean to you, breaking through the glass ceiling? Well, let me say this. I, I don't, I would say yes and no. In this regard, I was the first African-American woman <laughs> that entered the management training program at Sears, that, that became a vice president, became a senior vice president. So I was always mm-hmm. the first um, in every place that I've been, uh, it, it, you know, and, it, you know, it sounds strange to say that today, but it was it was the case. 
And so in that regard, I did get through, push through that glass ceiling. Um, but, you know, I sit here in 2020 and look at all that's going on, and it just doesn't feel like there's been enough progress. Um, so that saddens me because I feel like all that I did to push through, it has yet to, to make um, a wide enough dent in the world today. And so um, there are lots of African-American, have been a few African-American CEOs of major corporations, but not enough. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I just don't think it's, it's it's has an, has has had enough sticking power. Yeah, I like the way you put that. The sticking power. So you broke through the ceiling because you were the first, but I, it's like the ceiling kind of closed back up, or there's just a tiny gap for a few other people to come through instead of it being shattered and broken wide open. So. And, and not to say that it wasn't challenged, because I remember going to Compact as the head of human resources and addressing my first week there, a group of people, and, and they, they asked me, someone asked me a question, and they said, well, what do you think you can bring to this, wow. this equation here? Well, very challenging. And I said, well, let me say this to you. I said, I may not have the answers, because I just am coming into a new industry here. I said, but I have the process for getting the answers. And so um, I just remember those kind of things that would happen. And, you know, it's, how do you answer those questions? So anyway, it's um, it was an interesting time. Yeah, I can imagine it must have been very, very challenging being the first in all of those situations. No, no role models before you to kind of pattern yourself after you had to figure it out on your own. So knowing that you, you know, you were the first and you sort of made these milestones and now there are more people, but just not enough. Do you think that the meaning of breaking through the glass ceiling is different for this generation than it was for you? I think so. First of all, I think the meaning is how do we sustain it? Um, and, mm -hmm. you you know, there have been a few women who in and a lot more than just me who have who've pushed through. But how do, how do you sustain that? And how do you ensure that, that people coming behind you have the capabilities? Because what, what's happening today to a lot of African-American women and women of color and women um, is they're getting frustrated and they're, 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 they're leaving the corporate world because they don't believe mm -hmm. they can they can make it or 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 sustain um being there and so i think the challenge is that and i think the corporations also need to take take that challenge and determine how they can ensure that it's an environment that that uh, can be successful for these young women that, who are coming along. So I think it is different. Um, but, you know, it's about sustainability. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Having been in very high leadership positions in the corporate world, what incentives or what would make it a win-win for a corporation to invest in that sustainability, to sort of um, really 
make the environment such that it promotes it and 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 allows sustainability well i think i think valuing that the difference um perspectives that that women of color could bring to the table um and understanding what that business case is um for for that kind of different thinking um and and maybe not the same but but you know i i just don't think corporations have yet figured out why um diversity is so important among their products and and mm-hmm. services they offer and so i think that that's kind of the underpinning issue from my perspective so as you're speaking what's coming to mind is that i think sometimes when we're in these situations we want to maybe assimilate and let the corporations know that we can do the same job as Johnny. But listening to what you're saying, it's almost like we say that, but then we also make the case for how our diversity of thought and diversity of experience will make them a better company and will take their company further than if they didn't have us on board. So maybe we add that to our portfolio as a way to have the company be able to see our value. I absolutely agree. And I will say that one lesson I learned early on in my career um, was that of being genuine and expressing my opinion about things. And er- early on in my career, I, you know, I was always hesitant. And then I realized I can contribute something different here. Mm. And I remember one day actually expressing something very different and um and and challenging the thinking and i went home that night and i was so proud of myself <laughs> and i thought to myself you know what this can turn into a win win here um for me because i was actually speaking my own genuineness and two the organization got what they brought me there for mm-hmm. and that was for me to be genuine but sometimes we're often afraid um to to speak up and 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 say what what is really on our minds because we don't believe that the corporation or the entity is interested in what we what we bring to the table and i would say that is not the case mm, that's a great point on this show i we always talk about limiting beliefs and what limiting beliefs did you have to overcome to rise to whatever it is that you were able to rise to. And I think that that's a perfect example. I believe that whenever you're, you are your full authentic self, that that is sort of the greatest expression of who you are and you will make the most impact whether, and, and it's not always, it may not always turn out the exact way that you want it to turn out. But even if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out, you know that you put it all on the table. Uh, but real, but you saying that how proud you were when you did that and you realized, hey, you know, I don't have to let this fear stand in the way. I can keep doing this because it's actually better when I do this than if I hold back. Uh, that's a perfect example of kind of overcoming that limiting belief. Yeah. And you have to believe in yourself and it sometimes just takes, it takes that little belief to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to say what's on my mind and people might look around, but ultimately 
you've given them your best. You've given them your genuine self. And that is more important than anything else um, in, the, in the environments that we operate in today. And ultimately, it will be valued. Now, if it isn't, then you, got a you have a decision to make. And that is, you know, should I, should I go someplace else? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I've got to go someplace. I've got to be... I have to be in an environment that actually wants that kind of genuineness. Mm -hmm. mm. That is so good. So what are your other thoughts around breaking glass ceiling? My other thoughts are that, you know, building a network um, of um, like-minded people is really important. Um, and ensuring that, you connect with those folks and also bringing others mm -hmm. with you. Um, when I was in one position at, um, in a major corporation, I ended up promoting three women of color in it to senior positions. And I remember the, you know, the, the discussion around the hallway, <laughs> the hallways were, She's only promoting mm -hmm. these kind of people. Well, they were qualified. They were, they were ready. They were prepared. And, um, and yeah, it looked that way. But if I had promoted three white men, no mm -hmm. one would have said a word, right? But so you got to also step out there and ensure that you're doing your part um, to support others like you or others who, who bring and not be afraid to step out and, 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 um, and make those kinds of, um, and, and bring folks along with you. So I would just add that to breaking through the glass because in, in some ways that will be, that will be more important to you, uh, in later in life than, than what you, what you delivered. And some of those folks might rise and move past you and become more significant than you. And you can look around and say, wow, I helped her get to where she is today. Absolutely. So recognize talent and then honor that. And that's a great feeling when you know that you play a role in helping somebody reach their full potential and making the contribution right. that they could. So I'm going to pivot a little bit here. You've served on corporate boards and nonprofit boards, and that's also another area where glass ceilings still exist. And you continue to serve on many boards. So I really wanted to pick your brain about this because this has been a hot topic of conversation amongst me and my girlfriends. And we want to know how to get on corporate boards. And some of us have been invited to um, volunteer on boards, which we appreciate. But we also want to know how to get on paid boards. <laughs> <laughs> so the key, the key is to be the top in your field. So I talked about, you know, building your competency, folks staying focused, being the best at what you're doing. Um, and, you know, boards look for certain skills. So in my case, I was a human resource executive well-known in my field um, and um, and in, in, the, in the first board that I went on, which was Best Buy, they were looking for an HR executive um, to help round out the skills on their board and, um, and they selected me. Now, I think it also helped that I was an African-American woman, 
but but they particularly wanted the skill and and they were strategically looking at how their workforce was developing and they wanted some input on on how they thought about that so um so that's how i went on my first board but but being the best at what you do is what will get you so if your if your competency is accounting if it's is if it's um if it's um uh, marketing whatever that skill set is that you are in be the best and um and then so that's one thing and then the second is to start networking and telling people i always recommend this to other women you you have to tell people what mm-hmm. you what you're looking to do so um talking to friends talking to uh neighbors talking to uh people mm-hmm. who are currently on boards letting folks know you know this is this is what i can bring to the table and and um so so networking and then the third thing is um ensuring that you you know sometimes trade associations and um and other other associations like that can h- help you connect with mm. other sets of people who are on public company board and so don't discount your nonprofit board experience because oftentimes you meet people on that those boards that um that are on other boards and they too um can suggest or recommend or connect with you on 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 bo- uh, pu- public company boards so that's uh, that's what i i suggest i always say to young women make sure you're getting some board experience uh, in, in the nonprofit area um educating yourself on what what the roles and responsibilities are for board mm-hmm. members so there are classes you can take uh national association of corporate directors gives classes on building your competencies around what board what the role and responsibilities are for board members there are other organizations like that where you can um take some online classes and get perspective on that in fact i think nac actually offers a, a a course that you can take and you get certified so there are things that you can do to prepare start preparing yourself for that ultimate board experience thank you that was a very thorough answer and you answered all of my questions i had a question as you were talking but you answered it in your next point so that that was perfect now This is another question that I didn't originally have, but as you were talking, so this is something else that has come up with my uh, my friends as we've been talking. We understand the concept of mentorship, and then and, and I also had someone earlier on the podcast, Karen Johnson, who talked about mentorship, and she was phenomenal. But we would like to know how you get sponsors and if you could just explain the difference between a sponsor and a mentor and just talk a little bit about how to get a sponsor well the difference is a sponsor generally may be in your organizational set and they can actually promote you <laughs> so uh, promote you in turn in in the organization that's how i view sponsorship um so uh a mentor is someone who will give you advice will will uh you know if you call them and say uh i'm thinking about this you know they'll they'll 
give you perspective. But a sponsor is someone who can actually do something about your career. (laughs) So that's how I view sponsorship and, and mentorship. And and the question is, so I've, I've thought a lot about how it was that I had mentors and sponsors inside of um, the various organizations that I, that I lived in and, um, and grew up in in terms of my career. And, you know, it was always, I can, I can remember um, at Sears, my first employer, uh, and I was in the New York office, and um, there was a guy there that, for some reason, decided that he was going to be my mentor. He was a guy that I had worked with on some projects, particular projects, and I didn't even understand the concept of, you know, mentors or sponsors. I mean, I was new in the business world. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. understand how all that worked, but... Um, it soon became apparent that he, you know, he would call me into his office and he'd say, well, you know, I know you're working on this. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Um, and equally, I had um, a, a male sponsor who, um, you know, was really, I worked for him and he he was tough as nails on me. And then one day I, I went into his office. I said, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. He said, Yvonne, the reason I'm so tough on you, because I know you can. And he said, I believe in you, um, you know, et cetera. And it, it was it was really interesting. And that guy, to this day, I think about that guy. I thought I, I never thought I could do deliver what that mm-hmm. guy expected of me. But I did. And so, you know, he challenged me and it, and it, I built some incredible analytical skills as a result of working with this man. And so, you know, sometimes people can be really tough on you, but as long as they express um, that they think you can do it, it, it's not punitive. It doesn't feel punitive. Sometimes it can be punitive. And as I said, that's when you make a decision of saying, uh, I'm not sure I can work for this person anymore or whatever. Um, But um, so, so anyway, that's my, that's my response to mentorship and sponsorship. Yeah. It sounds like your principles of doing, you know, being the best at what you do and going deep and working hard were recognized and people kind of just said, okay, she's got what it takes. I want to mentor her. I want to sponsor her. Did I get that right? You, you got that right. But sometimes you also have to go ask for it too. I've had Mm -hmm. people ask me, um, can you be my mentor? And I would say, well, let's talk about what that means to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and equally, people have asked me to be on their personal board. And, you know, they've called and said, you know, I'm taking on this assignment. Can I call you from time to time and ask your advice about this? And I'd say, sure. And, And they followed up. Um, so, um, and I have done the same, as I said, when I, when I, uh, was taking on the role of the board of Spelman colleges board, I, you know, I, I sought out people that I had met, uh, at different places who had been boards of other colleges and said, can you give me advice along the way? And I would call them and say, you know, we're facing this. What do you think about that? And all that kind of stuff. Perfect. 
So as we're wrapping up talking about your career specifically, I was just curious that if you got a do over, is there anything that you would change or do differently in your career? Wow. You know, um, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I've thought about that question a lot um, because uh, there was another question about um, writing a book <laughs> and, uh, and I've thought about what would I change? And I don't think, I don't think I'd change anything. I can't think of anything that I would necessarily change. And if I wrote a book, the title of my book would be this. Um, if you can swim a mile, you can do a triathlon. So I did my first triathlon at 60 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I never thought I could do that <laughs> in my wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. But I started swimming one lap at a time. And I started training one lap at a time. And so that goes back to my discipline and structure. First lap, first week, second lap, second week, third lap, third week, one, two, three. So just building on, upon your, your, your strength and building and building and building and building and building. Mm. That, that's very inspiring. Uh, I've, I have not done a triathlon yet, but maybe it's in my future. Um, so you said the title would be if you can run a lap then you can do a triathlon. If you can, if you can swim a lap, you can do a triathlon. Okay, if you can swim a lap, you can do a triathlon. Um, that's awesome. Love, I love that. So what do you, at this point, and we may have touched on it already, but at this point, is there anything else you would say that you want your legacy to be? You know, that's a tough question for me because I have, so I, I'm, I'm intending to write a book. <laughs> I... I guess my legacy is in my grandsons. I have two grandsons who I adore and, you know, just making sure that I give them as much knowledge and love as I can give them. You know, I've, I've lived a great life. Fred and I have a great marriage, I've lived a great life. And, you know, it's just now in passing, passing on what we, what we can. And, um, that's all I wish for is just ensuring that I pass on what whatever I can to these grandsons to the degree they're going to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that that's beautiful. And I think that's my I feel the same way in terms of passing on to my children and, and hopefully someday my grandchildren. So did I hear you say at the beginning of that sentence that you are going to write a book? Yes, that's in my, that's okay. in my, I have a, I have a folder in my, in my, at, in my desk that I just drop notes in. I, I'm not putting it to, I'm, I still use pen and paper. <laughs> I just write notes down and then I drop it in there and I say, one of these days, this is what I'm going to do. Cannot wait. I cannot wait. That's going to be a bestseller, I'm sure. <laughs> So my final question, you are a loving wife, mother, grandmother, as you just mentioned, sister, and so much more to so many different people. So can you give us any perspective on how you were able to nurture all of those relationships and your own self-development? You're out here running triathlons. 
um, while building a high-powered career? Again, um, it's about prioritizing and it's about not taking on too much. I um, I was talking to a, a friend who, was, who had recommended a woman to call me last week and she asked me that same question and I said, you know, I got it. I, I said, I remember in my, particularly when my career was really at its peak, that I got invited to sit on this board and go on the, join this association and do this. And I, you know, I figured out I only had so many weeks in the year mm-hmm. to spend with my family, to spend with my husband. I was on a public company board at the time. Uh, I was on Spellman's board at the time. And I said, I can only do but so many things well. And this is how I'm going to do this. Um, and so that's um, that's what I did. So it was about just trying to balance it out. And there's no there's no balance in life, as you know. Uh, you mm-hmm. raising two kids and have a marriage and a and a, and a career, but you you just not stretching yourself out too thin. Don't take on too much. And that's what I tried to do over the years. And that's the advice I would give to people today. Yeah. Don't take on no, too no, much. No is a complete sentence, right? Um, no is a complete sentence. And even yeah. to this day, I do a lot of no's. <laughs> I just say, oh, I can't, I can't do that because, you know, as you start to age, you really prioritize the things that are important. And um, so that, that certainly is in my vocabulary these days. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being so being your authentic self and just um, being just open and giving us so much information that we can use. Um, So I don't know if you are on social media or if you have a website or if you have followers, but if you do, how would we reach you or contact you? Well, I have a company called Beecher Jackson. That's B with a capital B. E-E-C-H-E-R, Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N, and BeecherJackson.com, and you can get to my website quite easily. Thank you for listening to this episode of SOAR. If you'd like to reach me for coaching, you can reach me at www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And if you want to follow SOAR, you can follow Sisters Overcoming and Rising on Instagram or Stephanie Brown Coaching on Facebook. Goodbye for now. 